as you're settling in your posture, making sure it's comfortable, conducive to meditation, holding your mind that you're about to do work, significant, meaningful work. You're about to address in a meaningful way the concerns that seems to stay in the forefront of your mind. Concerns that seems for you existential. So have that attitude that what you're about to do now, entering into that sacred space called meditation, is the meaningful way of addressing it. We're not looking for patch-ups. We're not looking for bandages. We're looking for true, ultimate benefits. Let this stir in your mind until it becomes a strong determination. Let this determination infuse your whole being. Let it inform the body so the body takes on this determination and it makes itself conducive to help you achieve this objective. Have a sense of the body and the immediate surroundings of the body. holding on to that determination. Telling your body, telling your mind, telling your environment. Just like when the Buddha sat under that Bodhi tree and made that resolve called the Adamantine Resolve. this is what's happening and in this there is 
that particular element of tranquility. Connect with it. And infuse that with your determination. Let your determination be infused by it. And let it infuse your whole being. And bring your attention now to the general sense over the body. Letting the mind sort of hover over the body. Infusing that sense of connection to the element of tranquility within the environment. And allowing the body to respond in kind Finding that sense of tranquility within the body. General sense of tranquility. And take the whole experience now. Holding it in your mind. Your determination. The connection with the sense of tranquility. And have your attention now on just the legs. Let the legs respond. Let the legs cooperate. And listen to the intuitive advice coming from the body, advising you on how best to place the legs so the body can be as conducive as possible to achieve the objective of the determination. Stay with the legs until you make a palpable connection with a sense of tranquility, a sense of ease, something connected within the body that will later connect you or transform to actual physical bliss. And once you've made that connection, keep yourself reminded of it, stay connected to it. Then bring your attention now to the arms, the hands, elbows holding your attention there and your attention is filled with your determination staying connected with the sense of tranquility you made contact with earlier and allowing the arms to cooperate, to enter, so to speak, into its own sense of tranquility. Then bring your attention to the torso, 
allow the torso to cooperate, allow the torso to give rise to its own sense of tranquility. Perhaps now you're already sensing a sense of luminosity within the body, a sense of lightness, a sense of connection to a more subtle aspect of the body, connected through that sense of tranquility, that sense of ease. See if there's also a sense of confidence, physical confidence, arising from your attention connected to the torso and the back. A sense of stability. And move your attention to the head and neck. Let the natural intelligence of the body guide you how best to position the head and neck so you don't have to consciously hold it in place. So through the head and neck, you can be connected to a sense of tranquility. Now to the mouth, letting the jaws remain in their natural places, tip of the tongue touching slightly the back part of the upper teeth without pressing. feeling a palpable connection to a sense of tranquility, a sense of ease through the mouth, teeth, tongue. to the eyes, after allowing the eyes to Settle in what is most conducive for you. Then bring your attention to the breath. 
stay connected to whatever sense of ease you connected to earlier. And have a part of your mind continue to watch that sense of ease. sense of ease now within the breath and gently without forcing anything without chasing away anything just knowing you are breathing in as you are breathing in just knowing you are breathing out as you are breathing out have a part of your mind scan the posture, allowing the body to advise you on where to make adjustments, what kind of adjustments to make, whether physical, whether energetic, whether in terms of attitude, and without losing the connection with the sense of ease, with the breath and make the adjustments. subtle sense of the body is becoming prominent. How the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility is infusing the breath, affecting the mind, beginning to have a palpable sense of tranquility that is uniquely being experienced in the mind. And to help stabilize and further enhance the sense of tranquility, add the intention to keep the flow of your awareness on the breath unbroken while you follow the breath for 11 cycles. Being so aware of the breath, you are able to distinguish the beginning of the out-breath, the duration of the out-breath, when the out-breath ends, when the in-breath begins, the duration of the in-breath, when the in-breath ends and returns to out-breath.
stay connected with this new enhanced sense of ease. And within that sense of ease, we call your determination. And let the energy of that determination enhance the sense of ease. And let the sense of ease enhance energy of your determination. Bring your attention then to the level of your eyebrows. Bring your attention to the space in front of you at that level. Invoke the presence of your infallible guide. through which you achieve the objective of your determination. The, the embodiment of that is in that space in front of you. And find within you that measure of conviction that you are indeed connected communicating directly, presently, with that means, with that infallible guide. Holding on to that measure of conviction, express your reverence, express your gratitude, and place yourself under the protection and guidance of your infallible guide.
whatever it is that is in your own behavior, whether physical, verbal, or mental, whether it manifests within or without, make a strong determination to be disconnected from it if it obstructs you from achieving your goal. seem to be to it. Look instead at the goal you aspire to achieve. And whatever behavior, physical, mental, emotional, verbal, whether it is something that manifests within or manifests outside of you that you need to connect with and develop make a strong determination for that holding on to that determination summon your power of devotion So your infallible guide may protect you and guide you. your heart first sympathize then embrace with compassion all who are either experiencing similar difficulties as you are or whoever is experiencing any difficulty and that that compassion love become a strength to you, connect to its power, and let that power strengthen further your resolve, your determination.
the strength and momentum of that determination. Directed toward the success of this session. back to the breath, connecting first to the sense of physical nature, the materiality of the breath, its weight, its temperature, feeling its path, and as you are sensing the path, allow that now to connect you back to the more physical aspect of the body. And remember that sense of tranquility you experience. Try to take a snapshot of it. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Stretch your legs. So I don't know, did you do your homework? <laughs> do you remember you had a homework? <laughs> okay. Uh, one story that keeps coming to mind when I'm thinking of an example of the, the might and power that 
love connects you to, that is love itself. I think of the story, I'm not sure exactly when, probably was in the 90s or 80s, and some of you are too, too, too young to know that, <laughs> the 90s or the 80s, and there was a story of a mother who lifted a car because her baby was in danger. And she wasn't a weightlifter, she wasn't you know, somebody who lifts cars for a living. Mm-hmm. She had the ability to lift the car at that moment because that's what was needed at that moment. And where did she get the strength from to be able to lift a car? We're talking about a real car. Yeah, okay. Because of the love she had, she has for that child. And that was, was necessary at the moment for that love to be expressed, okay, to lift that car. That's what I was referring to. This is one of the examples that I'm referring to when I'm, when I'm telling you that love is might. It's not some weakness that we feel sorry for, that we you know, allow to stay with us because we feel sorry for it. Okay. Um, so, I want us to prove to ourselves that, this is, that love is might, love is powerful. Love is the most powerful uh, force in the universe. I want us to prove it to ourselves by starting to incorporate it into our decision making. When we are relating with someone, when we are needing some, something, try to first connect with that, with love, and see if, if power can be uh, uh, channeled through it, something like that. Okay. And, and the reason for first getting into that proof is because of uh, what will define uh, how, the Buddha, how the Buddha defines a bodhisattva in the Large Perfection of Wisdom Sutra, where uh, it's actually not the large one, uh, the English one. Uh, t- uh, 8,000. What's his name? No, it is. Kanzi? Kanzi. Kanzi. Is it Kanzi or Kanzi? C O N Z E, however that's pronounced. Uh, actually, it's a com- compilation he did of the outline of the 8,000, and then he did some translation of the 25,000. And he calls it the Large Sutra, but it's not really the Large Sutra. The Large Sutra has, is 100,000 lines. Okay. So, anyway, that's the only, uh, that's the largest, largest sutra on the perfection of wisdom that was translated into English. And he did a very nice job, even though the English is somewhat outdated now, but you can, if you're already into that, into reading Buddhism, you, you can sort of make, uh, make out what he's saying. Okay. So anyway, in that text, uh, I forgot exactly where, I think somewhere in the beginning, uh, not, not the, the very beginning, the very beginning just describes the scenery. How this, why, this, why did the Buddha you know, speak this perfection of wisdom in the first place? And who was in attendance? Uh, but somewhere after that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Buddha is now saying, what is a bodhisattva? Why is a bodhisattva called a mahasattva, a great being? And the Buddha says the bodhisattva is called a great being because of his courage. And the Buddha goes to describe what does it mean by the great courage of the, bodhis- of the bodhisattva. So first he describes the bodhisattva is somebody who is overwhelmed, or somebody who is uh, almost possessed by an overwhelming, limitless sense of love and compassion for all beings. And this 
and the and the Bodhisattva is not somebody who who has great love for his friends or great love for his mother or his parents or people who are nice to him, but someone who is who has great love and great compassion for all beings. Wherever there is an object that you can say, oh, that's a being, the Bodhisattva has great, immense love for that, for that object. And then this love and this great compassion gives the Bodhisattva this thing, what is called great courage. Now, when you think of courage, what, do you, what comes to your mind? You call, think of someone who doesn't turn away from what seems to be an uh, uh, adversity. Someone doesn't turn away from what seems to be difficult. Someone doesn't turn away from, someone even forges ahead when there is difficulty, when there is uh, the promise of pain, but forges ahead. But what makes someone crazy to be able to forge ahead when there is the promise of pain? The person is not considering, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience pain. What's pushing the person ahead is not, I'm going to fight this pain, but rather, I'm in love with this, and I have to go through that to fulfill my, uh, the, the, my, the meaning of my love for, the meaning of my love, okay? Not so much I'm looking forward to see how much pain I can take. I'm looking forward to prove that I, uh, I'm, uh, I can beat this thing. But what's pushing the Bodhisattva is the Bodhisattva is not even seeing the pain. Bodhisattva is saying at the end of that, my love will be protected. The, the, the happiness that my love will, will be connected to. Okay? Those are pushing the Bodhisattva. And because of that, the Bodhisattva is called the being of great courage. And the example that the, Bodhi, the Buddha gives in the Perfection of Wisdom is, you know, uh, it, it, uh, the, Buddha, the Buddha gives this image of where, as a Bodhisattva, you don't think that, well, there are Buddhas who have, uh, they are ahead of me and, and they, they can give me help when I need it. Or we think that there are other bodhisattvas who have done this, I guess, you know, I, I'm not a fool for trying trying it out. But rather, who, 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 who thinks, even if I'm going to be the first Buddha, even if there are no other bodhisattvas around, I know this is what I have to do. And and because I know this is what I have to do, and because my only concern is to connect my beloved with happiness, is to make sure my beloved is disconnected from pain, even if it means that I have to bear the pain myself for the rest of eternity, if that is the only way that my beloved will no longer experience pain, if that is the only way for my beloved to be connected with happiness, that I am the only being left in the universe who, who, is, who is only the only one who, who, can, who, has, who is capable or is, uh, uh, who has to endure pain. If that's what will help my beloved not to be connected to pain, if that's what will help my beloved be connected to happiness, I'm willing to do it. That's why the Bodhisattva is called a, Bodhis, uh, a, a Mahasattva. Bodhisattva is called a being of great courage. And this is not some fantasy in the mind of a Bodhisattva. This is not some, oh, I know it's impossible, I know I'm not going to be the one who actually, but it's nice to say. It's poetic. Now, the Bodhisattva is actually willing to take, to, to take that on. Okay? That you're willing to go to, to the hells 
and free all the beings there and make a bargain with the, with the guardian of the hell. Say, okay, free all of them and let, them, let their punishment be only on me. Let me be the one to endure their punishment. And I'll even double it. I'll stay here twice. Twice then they have to. Okay? And if that was a possibility, the Bodhisattva is willing to do it. Okay? So, and what is making these beings being able to uh, be willing to demonstrate such, such courage? And the thing about, you know, uh, you hear about uh, the Bodhisattva, you know, uh, being able to uh, uh, chop off their arm and give it away to someone because it would make them happy. Okay? And we think that's courageous. And, and this goes on or go on to, to higher, higher, higher until... The, the image that the Buddha describes where you're willing to be the only one left in the hells, to be the only one left to, who, who, is, uh, who experiences pain. If that will be the means to, for others, if that is the only way for others not to experience it at all. Okay. And what is pushing them? What is giving them, and, if, and not just what is making them having that kind of crazy thought, but if it was to happen, if it were to happen, what would allow them to be able to endure such pain? It's their love. It's their compassion. Okay. And the Buddha, of course, not only describes in terms of the, the, the pain that the Buddhist, someone who, is, uh, who has such love, is able to endure, but also describes like the incredible feats that they're able to, to perform. And things like Almost, we don't even we can't even think of them. We cannot even imagine them, and such thing as uh, uh, actually, I was thinking of uh, a little bit somewhat connected in my own mind. Probably, I'm gonna you're not gonna, be, you're not, not gonna know what what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna explain it to you. Um, You know the expression, save the world, uh, uh, we are destroying the planet, and there are people who say, I mean, that's impossible, how can you, how can humans destroy the planet? And I just had the, uh, I'm trying to think of it, why would they, uh, why would someone hold the position that we're not destroying the planet? And I'm thinking, oh, it's because when, the, when, when that person hears the word destroying the planet, they actually think of, you know, blowing the planet, planet up into, into dust until there's nothing left in that space where the, where the planet is, is uh, staying. I say, oh, that's what they're thinking of. And of course, the, the picture that they have in their mind is like, you know, like a, a one person standing outside of the planet, throwing rocks at the planet, and then, and then and thinking that throwing rocks at the planet eventually is going to destroy it, break it apart, and make it turn into dust. Of course, that's impossible. Okay. So, some, somewhat connected to that picture, let's say a bodhisattva is that person standing, out, standing outside of the planet. If the bodhisattva saw the need to push the planet away to a different orbit or something, because that's what would disconnect that bodhisattva's beloved, the sentient being, from, from pain, the Bodhisattva, because of the Bodhisattva's love, the Bodhisattva would find the power to push the planet. Okay. Almost like Superman, you know, 
<laughs> would be able to do. Okay. And that seems like almost an impossible thing. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this almost, almost impossible image, of, impossible idea of, of, of strength that if somebody could be able to exhibit is because to sort of have us uh, start to think along the line, start to be connected to that, in, first of all, asking the question, indeed, is love a power? And to be connected, to be, have to have in our lives demonstrations that, yes, love is a power. Okay. So those beings who are called uh, great beings, Mahasattvas, those beings who are uh, um, they're called uh, worthy of a Buddha's veneration. Uh, I forgot exactly where that one is now. Where, uh, I think probably in the same per- uh, perfection of wisdom where the Buddha says, uh, I would rather f- I bow first to the new moon than I would bow to the full moon. Meaning, the one with, in whom the one who has just become a bodhisattva, who fully understands the responsibility ahead of that being, and yet takes on the vow, takes on the responsibility of a bodhisattva, that being, the Buddha says, worthy of veneration, more than the one who's already a Buddha. Okay. So the Buddhas have great, great affection for bodhisattvas, because they're not yet fully enlightened beings, they don't have all the powers of fully enlightened uh, of a Buddha, and yet they have a courage that is, um, uh, you can say, almost similar to that of a Buddha, where nothing will stop them from fulfilling the fulfilling what fulfilling love and fulfilling something of love, fulfilling the objective of love. Their vow. But more connected to not just vow in terms of respons- uh, responsibility or duty, but you know that emotion of love and compassion that they have, the fulfillment of the potential. potential? Okay, that sounds close enough. Potential or fruition of you no know, something. Think of something very emotional. <laughs> okay, that. Okay. So, and it's not that. Uh, the Bodhisattva uh, is courageous because somehow they know they will fulfill this. Or somehow they see, oh, there's the power that's going to help me, and I see it, or oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to grab onto it. But all they're focusing on is their love and what will, uh, how, will, uh, how to benefit their, their beloved. Okay. So, the reason I brought this example, first to think of that a Bodhisattva is a a being that we are, uh, as far as Buddhists are concerned, is the highest being, is the highest, uh, is the being that we all aspire to, is the being of high inspiration. And we think of the Bodhisattva as having tremendous abilities. And then now we have to ask ourselves, why is a bodhisattva? What makes a bodhisattva so powerful? And you have to remember, ah, it's love. That's what makes that. This, that's the distinction of a bodhisattva: is their love. Okay. 
So that sort of reminds us, ah, yes, indeed, love is power. Love is might. Okay. Uh, because when you're trying to, let's say, be an instrument or allow yourself to be, uh, to be a channel for love and, 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 com- and compassion, what prevents us from fully being engaging in that is a sense of, uh, hesit- we are somewhat hesitant. We don't really believe that love is really that, uh, that powerful. We don't really believe fully, we're not fully convinced that love is truly uh, capable of bringing about real palpable solutions, especially when it comes to real problems. And if you can think of, uh, I mean, if I could get all the, everyone of every religion who, who professes to be uh, a great adherent of their, of, of, of their religion, and I would ask them this question, do you consider love to be a weakness or a power? Does your religion tell you that love is a power or does it tell you your love is a weakness? Then do you, are you convinced that love, what your religion says about love? I would ask them that question. And I would say, then act from that conviction. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, uh, I feel a little um, ashamed to confess mm. this, but as you talk about the love and the courage, Mm-hmm. It um, really doesn't mean anything to me so far. Mm. What it comes to me is like, or what is my experience and a real time, you know, a real experience in my life is more anger. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, what I feel that it, now that you ask the question, like, what if love is weaknesses of power? Definitely, it looks like weaknesses. So perhaps now that you brought that question up, it's making me think how much um, I'm feeling. You know, this energy of anger and some I became kind of good of that. Like mm-hmm. it can trick you where you really hurt and. And when, you know, even when the example of the mother, when you are strong, it's just, I feel that it's this kind of energy. However, I can tell the difference. Mm. I can tell when that kind of force is, I'm acting from that force. And also this is my willingness to, to act from a different source. But, yeah, I don't really believe that love makes concrete, successful, and, and mm. good things in mm. life. So mm. perhaps I'm always in this debate and this... Mm. Yeah, that's uh, what I was uh, pointing to. And it's not like uh, we are evil because we have this. It's because I think that we are conditioned for that. Like, uh, we, we are forced to make association of love with weakness. I remember, uh, you, you probably have examples in your life when you're told, oh, you're too nice. Mm-hmm. You have examples in your life when you're told that, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to a positive thing, you say, oh, you have that too much. 
as though it's as though it's some sort of it's a fault to be nice, or as if somehow you can be too nice. Now what you're, what they're connecting it with is there was a weak there probably was a weakness in that person, and that person sort of like disguising it as though as though they are being nice. Okay, or uh, and when it comes to love, um, we confuse it with not love that is we can say with spiritual kind of love, but more like a, it's a, a selfish wish to have something, and we call that love, or I love that thing. Okay, and then because there is some sort of uh, pain associated with trying to fulfill that selfish desire, and we we label it as expression of love. And, it, and because of the pain, we say, oh, because love, that's what love does to you. So because of this experience, of this conditioning, and because of mislabeling of things, we, we, we have this doubt that, is love really powerful? This is my experience so far. Uh, isn't anger really the more powerful? Because I get what I want <laughs> through anger. Okay. It's because we are mislabeling things. Okay. And, and the reason that we don't... Uh, uh, have would say uh, a full conviction that love is completely weak, and then no need for me to be connected to it. Is because somehow within there is something else that's telling us something. There's something different. Somehow within us there is a little bit of conviction that love is really powerful. That's why we haven't completely abandoned it yet. That's why we somehow uh, we keep it as a little pet. You know, we are protecting. Oh, it's a little weak thing. It's cute. You no, know, we protect it. But when it comes to real work, you no. Know, we have to we have to do something else. Okay. Um, what immediately uh, as you were talking, I'm thinking, well, well, do I have any examples of love actually other than that lady in that newspaper, 1980? <laughs> are there ex- other examples that I can think of? There's several. I mean, during mm-hmm. some sh- recent shootings, during tornadoes, there mm-hmm. were people who shielded children. Now that couldn't possibly have been done out of anger. I mean, they were. Mm-hmm giving up their lives to yeah. protect a child. So the only thing that could have mm-hmm. motivated them was the desire to have non-harm towards a child, to have compassion and mm-hmm. love towards a child. Mm-hmm. But that happened during the recent tornadoes um, mm-hmm. we just saw. Mm-hmm. It also ha- happened, uh, it was documented during the, um, some mm-hmm. of the mass murders we've mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, soldiers throwing themselves on grenades to save their you know, yeah, com- comrades. happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. That can't be out of anger either. It's not like, oh, mm-hmm. that bad person, I'm going to throw myself on the grenade to show that I hate the person mm. and threw it. It's clearly love. Yeah. So. Actually, I, there's one example I can think of. Uh, can you turn that off? Tomorrow is Sakadawa. Uh, it's not Sakadawa, it's Tibetan for uh, <laughs> that one month. So the entire month is actually the month of, so this month of May, it's called the month of May, but it's the, the fifth month within the Tibetan calendar, the fourth month, it's the fifth month in the Tibetan calendar. Uh, it's when the, the day when the Buddha reached enlightenment, also the day when the Buddha was born, reached enlightenment, and also achieved Parinirvana, or 
uh, Tibetan, uh, the Buddhist way of saying the Buddha passed away. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's like the biggest holiday for all Buddhists. Uh, and it's also a day for us to think of the incredible compassion and love that the Buddha has for us, that he taught us the means of achieving true liberation. Because he could have reached the liberation, you could have reached Buddhahood and say, okay, my job is done, see you later, bye people. But he stayed and taught. And that's what's considered to be that the greatest gift that the Buddha, the greatest act of his compassion for us. And then of course uh, you also know about the Supposedly, there's, there was a great congregation where uh, Buddhas met and they said, okay, there's going to be a thousand of us appearing on the, on the planet Earth, and uh, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, and when are you going to appear? And the Buddha chose to appear in our time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, there was a great uproar and said, why you chose these people? Why you chose that time? They're going to be stupid. They're not going to be spiritually inclined. There's going to be a f- maybe, probably just about maybe a few thousand people are going to understand what you're saying. And the Buddha, and the Buddha said, uh, out of com- because we are stupid, <laughs> because no one would, would, no, one would uh, no enlightened being would pay attention to us. In the, not in the sense of, I mean, the incredible thing that happened with the Buddha showing up is that it's not that... Uh, Enlightened beings don't show up to stupid people. It's what the Buddha did for us stupid people. He turned the wheel of the Dharma for us, which is like considered to be a, a rare thing that happens in the universe once in a blue moon, where a Buddha turns the wheel of Dharma somewhere. Of course, they appear, they see this individual, they see that group somewhere in the universe, somewhere having trouble, and they go and try to help. But to turn the wheel of the Dharma in that place is considered to be like the greatest gift enlightened beings can give to a world. And they don't give that gift to uh, the, I, the thought of uh, throwing, what's that thing? Throwing pearls to swines? Is that, yeah. So they don't do, uh, enlightened beings don't do that. They don't throw pearls to swines. Okay. When they turn the wheel of the Dharma is when the people are completely ready for it. And millions of people, millions and billions of people will turn to, the, to, to it. Okay? Not just a few thousand during the Buddha's time. Okay? So, and because of that, that's one of the considered to be why we are especially uh, uh, thankful, uh, grateful to the Buddha, for, to Buddha Shakyamuni, for having, uh, uh, because he, he did that for us. Okay. And even though I was uh, born a Christian, and I never officially stopped being a Christian, because when I was a Christian, what, what made me say I was a Christian was the love of the Christ that he has. Okay. And I wanted to be just like Christ. <laughs> uh, and when I read, when I heard uh, about the Buddha's love, the Buddha's compassion, that's what drew me to the Buddha. That's what made me become a Buddhist. Okay, because I wanted to be like the Buddha. <laughs> but uh, the difference was, uh, at least as far as the teaching that was being dispensed is concerned, maybe there was a, I mean, uh, maybe there was a teaching that was dispensed by Christ 
where he said, this is how you become like me, and somehow this teaching got lost, or didn't come to me. But within, the, within Buddhism, there is the teaching where the Buddha said, this is how, this is the Buddha himself saying, this is how you become like me. And here it is, and it came, and it came to me. Okay. So, uh, the reason I'm saying that is uh, this great love that the Buddha was able to express, that the Buddha, this great power that the Buddha was able to uh, be connected to. So we're going to do a, 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 plead, a pleading, a pleading, a beseeching, a beseech, beseeching uh, meditation where we see Buddha Shakyamuni above our head and that's our uh, infallible guide. And we are going to beg the Buddha, help us to develop the love that you did. Help us to develop the compassion that you did. Help us be in contact with that power that really moves, that really makes significant uh, uh, difference and change in the world. Okay, because the world needs it. The world needs us to go out and just radiate love, radiate compassion. That's what the world needs right now. It doesn't need a, a more powerful atomic bomb. It doesn't need, you know, never mind, I'm not going to that. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes, of course. Alright, so ready? So first connect to that sense of uh, tranquility you felt in meditation. This is the work that I mentioned earlier of significance, meaning that is meaningful, that we are going to do. And also beg the Buddha to help us be free of that condition that make us have a instinct or a a behavioral res uh, response to love as a weakness to make make us think that makes us think that love is a weakness, but rather let us see the might and power of love. So having connected to the sense of tranquility, feel it palpably in the body. Feel it palpably in the breath. Feel it palpably in the mind. Stabilize it with five cycles of breath.
feel and know that just thinking of Buddha Shakyamuni brings his presence. And use your visualization power to visualize Shakyamuni above your head. Feel his radiance, feel the might of his love. you wish to do meaningful, effective work, then begin to beg, beseech Buddha Shakyamuni to help you to overcome the obstacles that makes you not experience the power of love, and beg him to help you develop, to connect to the love's power. And for it not to be just some sentimental, poetic connection, but an actual demonstrate something that can be demonstrated in your life. Not just in some 20 years future, but for your whole life to be able to demonstrate it. And use the visualization power, see light rays, descending from Buddha Shakyamuni's heart and filling your whole being with that light and ascribe to that light the power to remove our bad conditioning, our obstacles and filling us and connecting us to the power of love, the might of love. can also recite the mantra of Shakyamuni Buddha if that will help you. Om Muni Muni Mahamuni Soha.
holding on to a strong determination to engage the world, to relate with others with that aspiration. Let the image of Buddha Shakyamuni descend through the crown of your head and let it merge with your mind inside your heart center. a strong determination there to relate with others, to relate with your environment, to relate with yourself from that experience, from that aspiration. of sincerity of your aspiration to express that true love, the degree with which you tasted that love, that is the greatest offering you can make to the Buddha. of this merit physical breath, and feeling the physical breath traveling, let it make you become aware again of the physical body, beginning with the crown of your head until you are aware of the whole body from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Stay connected with that determination to engage the world, to relate with others from that experience. Peace, Sakadawa. <laughs>